Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. Good morning, church. (laughs) Woo! All right. Good to see you here this morning. I was told before I came up here that uh, if the sound cut out, it was because I said something inappropriate, not because of technical difficulties. So we'll see how that goes, too. Hey, in 1862, French novelist Victor Hugo wrote what many consider to be one of the top 10 novels of all time. Uh, he wrote The Miserables, right? Catchy title. He wrote Les Mis, and um, it's... it's a significant work of literature. As a matter of fact, it's a lot to trudge through. It's got an amazing story, but just like a thousand plus pages of kind of tangent in it. And uh, we don't need to trudge through books like that anymore. We have Hollywood. So (laughs) we can just watch the movie, right? Don't let that be your takeaway from today. He said we don't have to read. Um, That's not what I'm saying at all. But the book centers around this main character, Jean Valjean, and he has just been released from prison. He's been in prison for 19 years, five of those for stealing bread, 14 additional years for repeated escape attempts. And so as he is traveling towards this particular town, he's discovering that nobody will take him in because his passport has the word convict stamped in it. And so nobody's going to let him into their homes. But he comes upon this bishop, and this bishop allows him to come into his home to eat at his table, and he gives him a place to sleep. Now, in the middle of the night, Valjean wakes up, and he sneaks into the kitchen, and he begins to steal the silver. And as he's stealing the silver, the bishop comes upon him and finds him, and uh, Valjean, in, in the movie, punches him in the face, knocks him to the ground, and he takes the silver, and he flees the house. Now, the next day, he's caught by the authorities, and they bring him back to the bishop. And I want to show you the movie clip here of what happens when he gets returned to the bishop. So we'll use wooden spoons. I don't want to hear anything more about it. I'm sorry to disturb you. You caught him. But I had my eye on this man. Thank God. I'm very angry with you, Jean Valjean. What happened to your eye, Monseigneur? Didn't he tell you he was our guest last night? Oh, yes. After we searched his knapsack and found all this silver, he claimed (laughs) that you gave it to him. Yes. Of course I gave him the silverware. But why didn't you take the candlesticks? That was very foolish. Madame Gillot, fetch the silver candlesticks. They're worth at least 2,000 francs. Why did you leave them? Hurry! Monsieur Valjean has to get going. He's lost a lot of time. Did you forget to take them? Are you saying he told us the truth? Of course. Thank you for bringing him back. I'm very relieved. Release him. You're really letting me go? Didn't you understand the bishop? Madame Gillot, offer these men some wine. They must be thirsty. Thank you. And don't forget. Don't ever forget. You've promised to become a new man. Promise? Why are you doing this? 
Jean Valjean, my brother, you no longer belong to evil. With this silver, I've bought your soul. I've ransomed you from fear and hatred. And now I give you back to God. What an amazing transformational moment, right? What an amazing picture of grace and truth. The, the grace that he received is obvious. As he comes back, as he's caught, as he knows he's wrong, he receives not just forgiveness, but he receives upon that forgiveness grace. Grace that says, yeah, I know you stole this. Here, take it. Grace that says, I know you stole this, but you forgot to steal this. Here, take this in addition so that you can be set up for your life. This transformational grace in his life. He also received truth, though. You see, the bishop didn't just say, yeah, take this and go off and live the life you want to live. He said, no, you need to live differently. You belong to God now. And the grace and the truth, they meet together. And quite honestly, in the story, they wreck Valjean. He spends the time after this figuring out how he's going to live his life. And the question that faces Valjean is the same question that faces us. How do we live in response to such incredible grace and truth? How do we live our lives in response to such incomparable grace and truth that we receive? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're finishing up our series called Reset. And in week one, Steve talked to us about identity and about how God sees us. And it was really, it's a great message if you wrestle with identity. And if you weren't here, I would recommend going and listening to that message or maybe putting it on repeat for a whole week so that it soaks in. It was really great. And I'm not just saying that because he's my boss. It was good. <laughs> Last week, he talked to us about how God sees other people and how we're supposed to see other people. And this week, we're going to talk about how do we live in that tension of grace and truth, how do we live in a world? Because if we're going to go off the rails as Christians, we're probably going to lean too far to one side or too far to the other side, and we need to figure out how to live in that kind of messy tension. Now, we see this phrase, grace and truth, in John chapter 1. We see the phrase, and we see the perfect example of grace and truth. John was the last of the Gospels to be written. It was written by a guy named John. Yeah, thanks for staying with me on that. John was old at the time. He grew to an old age at a time when the survival rate for disciples was shockingly low. Most had passed away, and he grew to, to an old age. And so he began writing and reflecting on the time that he got to spend with Jesus. And the great thing about the Gospel of John is he's saying, these are things that I've seen with my own eyes. These are truths that I've heard with my own ears. I walked personally with Jesus, and so I'm writing things, things down that I saw and heard so that you can share my joy. And he begins his gospel by writing about the word, the word that became flesh, as if the author of the greatest story wrote himself literally into his story. And he said the people didn't recognize him. He wrote himself into the story, but they didn't recognize him. And then we get to chapter one, verse 14, and it says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that Jesus came and lived among us, that he moved into the neighborhood, that he, he camped out with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. 
that Jesus came to us full of grace and truth. Full to the brim. John, after walking alongside Jesus for years, after spending decades reflecting on his time with Jesus, chose these two words to describe him. Grace and truth, full of both. And we need Jesus to be full of both of these things. We desperately need Jesus to be 100% grace and 100% truth. And I realize that there's a tension there. And I realize that this can get messy. And sometimes it seems like if we walk towards grace, that we're somehow leaving truth behind us. That the more we embrace grace, the less truth matters. Or if we walk towards truth and we truly strive to speak truth, the less graceful we are going to appear. And maybe it even seems like that when we read the Gospels. Because sometimes the Gospels seem somewhat unfair. Sometimes Jesus is, is all truth and it seems like grace is out the window and sometimes he's so graceful he never mentions the sin that's going on around him. And it seems like, ah, oh, there's this tension, but we see John tell us he was full of both of those things. Full of grace, full of truth, 100% of both because anything less than 100% of either is neither. I mean, can you imagine if we didn't receive the full measure of grace? If what we received was grace for like 95% of our sin, we had like this 5% just floating out there somewhere that we were trying to figure out and work on and we didn't know how that was gonna affect us. Or maybe Jesus came and he only was truthful like 90% of the time. And you didn't know that. And we know that, you know, half truth is a whole lie. And so you have to be 100% of both or it's neither. And that's what we see in the life of Jesus. And yet there's still this tension there, right? Grace says you're forgiven. Truth says you're accountable. Grace says you're restored. Truth says you're broken. Grace says it's going to be okay. Truth says you need to work on it. Which one of these do you like better? <laughs> Honestly, it depends though, doesn't it? Think of it this way. Your parents probably modeled grace and truth for you. Hopefully, they modeled grace and truth. As a matter of fact, you probably had one parent that was grace, one parent that was truth, right? That's kind of how it works sometimes. Now, if you broke something, let's say you broke curfew, you broke a rule. Let's say you were drinking out of your mom's antique teacup that your grandmother had given to your mom. And, and you, when you finished, you thought, I bet I could throw this up in the air and catch it in my hoodie. And then it breaks. And then you have to glue it back together and hide it in the back of the china club, hypothetically speaking. <laughs> Let's just say something like that happens. What do you want from your parents? Grace. Now, let's say your sibling does something. Your brother or your sister does something and either it harms you or it hurts you. What do you want from your parents? <laughs> right? You want truth. You want truth to prevail. I like truth. I like truth when I'm telling other people what to do. I like truth when other people have wronged me. And I really like grace when I've messed up. And we find ourselves kind of sliding in between the two. You know, and, and maybe you have a leaning and maybe you have a leaning and you're looking at the other side and you're like, yeah, but this is more important than the other one. You know, if you, if you slide over here, you're like, yeah, truth is where it's at. Look over there. There's no foundation. 
Maybe you're over here and you're like, grace is where it's at. Look over there. There's no forgiveness. Back and forth, back and forth. But John says Jesus was full of both grace and truth. And so I want to talk about the what and the why of grace and truth. Just kind of what is it and why do we desperately need Jesus to be 100% of both? And how do we live in that tension? The what of it is just this. Grace is the free and unearned favor of God. Grace is free and unearned. To earn something means you have to figure out what its equivalent is. And there is no equivalent to the grace of God. Thereby, we cannot earn the grace of God because we can't do anything to equal it. It also says this, though. It's kindness, but the Old Testament and the New Testament paint the same picture. It's a reaching. It's an inclining. It's a leaning. We have a God who leans in on our lives. We have a God who leans toward us, not away from us, toward us. If you can get this picture in your head of a parent following a toddler around who's just learning how to walk and the toddler's like all over the place, kind of like we live our lives sometimes, just all just swerving in and out and the, and the parent kind of there leaning towards the child, ready. That's God the Father. He leans towards us. That's what grace is. His grace is inclined towards us. Truth is this. Truth is just exact, straightforward. It's reality. And it, it really means God's word to us. It's truth imparted from the divine to us that requires a response. When truth is spoken to us, we need to respond to that truth. Jesus was 100% grace and 100% truth. Let me give you another example. Truth says, when you're young, there's certain things that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't do foolish things because somebody's going to take a picture of it, especially in our modern era, and they're going to show it to the world. Now, grace says, even though you were young and foolish and did that, you can still grow up and be the lead pastor at Salem Alliance Church. Too far? <laughs> Maybe. I, that's our distinguished lead pastor, Steve Fowler. I don't know. Thank you for taking that off. I hope that did not scar you. But uh, pe people keep sending me stuff about Steve. It's, I don't even have to search for this stuff. It, it comes to my inbox. So thank you. Listen, though. All grace... Doesn't work, does it? All grace means that there's no guardrails. All grace, people think, is absolute freedom, but absolute freedom isn't really freedom. Think of it this way. If everybody had absolute freedom in the way that they drove a car, would you ever want to drive? No, it wouldn't be freedom at all. As a matter of fact, you'd take up biking. You wouldn't want to be on the roads. If there's no guardrails, that doesn't work. Now. All truth means that the guardrails are so tight around you that you can't move. That anytime you try and do something, you bump into something and you hurt yourself. No guardrails or the guardrails are so tight you can't move. You see, all truth without grace breeds legalism and self-righteousness. And all grace without truth breeds deception and moral compromise. And that's why we need to be 100% of both, the way that Jesus was. When Jesus met the woman at the well, 
he spoke truth to her. He spoke the truth of how she was living her life. He spoke truth that she didn't know that he would know. But he was also graceful. He revealed himself as the Messiah to her when he hadn't really done that before. When the rich young man comes to Jesus, it says that Jesus loved him, that his heart went out to him. He was graceful to him, but he spoke truth to him, what he needed to do. When the woman was dragged before Jesus who was caught in adultery, he was super graceful to her and rescued her, but also spoke truth. You need to go and not do this anymore. 100% grace, 100% truth. And we desperately need him to be both. Why? Why do we need grace in our lives? Ephesians chapter two gives us the answer. If you wanna grab a Bible out of the pew there, you can follow along. It's on page 1855. Starting in verse one, it says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now let's just pause there for a second. Once you were dead because of your sins. Now notice it doesn't say that we were sick with sin. It says that we were dead in sin. And it doesn't say sick because there's varying degrees of sickness, right? We understand that. There's that sickness that you have when you don't want to go to work or as a student when you don't want to go to school, that kind of vague sickness that you have where it's like sick enough to stay home but not too sick where your parents take you to the doctor. This kind of, oh, I just don't feel great. It's my stomach. And then there's like this other end of that sickness where it's sickness that's just debilitating. There's degrees of sickness, but there's not degrees of dead. Dead is dead. It's not the princess bride. There's not mostly dead. You're just, you're dead, right? You're dead. Dead is dead. When you're sick, you have an opportunity to get better. And as a matter of fact, you can even oftentimes participate in that process. You can take medicine. You can go to the doctor. You can be a part of getting better. When you're dead, there's not you participating in anything. You don't get to participate in getting better. We're not sick in sin. We are dead in sin, which means there was absolutely nothing that we could do. And so the people that you think are the best people in the world, the people who don't ever do anything wrong and they deserve so much, and the people who are awful in the world and do things wrong all the time are all in the same boat. Everyone. Dead in sin. Which is why the grace of God is indispensable. All of us need the full measure of the grace of God because we were dead in sin, which means there's nothing we could do. Verse four says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. It is only by the grace of God that we are saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. All of these things, you'll notice they're past tense. We've been raised and seated and united and maybe not literally yet, but legally, yes, because of the grace of God. And then we get to verse seven. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace, the incredible wealth of the grace of God. That phrase in the Greek, it, it means grace on top of grace. And literally it means to throw beyond, 
to throw beyond, which means this, is that in your life you can sin and you can mess up and you can do it in a whole lot of places and you can mess up far and wide, but you are never going to sin beyond the grace of God. That God's arm is always gonna be stronger than our sin. And no matter how much you sin, God's always gonna be able to throw the blanket of his grace further. And I don't know what you've done. And maybe you've done stuff where you feel like God cannot possibly forgive that. But God's arm is stronger than our sin. And quite honestly, I I wrestle with that sometimes. I wrestle with grace on top of grace sometimes. I don't necessarily wrestle with like saving grace. I know I need a savior, but I wrestle with this continued idea of grace in my life. Because I keep messing up, and I should know better. Quite frankly, I'm a professional Christian. I do this for a living. And to mess up is like, I should know better. And yet there are times that I find myself back in the same spot, doing the same things, and receiving the grace of God again and again, and I can't believe it. And you know that what that is inside of me, that's pride. It's just pride that says, I can't believe I would do that. I can't, I'm better than that. That's just pride, which needs to be covered by the grace of God. God's arm is always stronger than our sin. The ability to throw beyond. You see, grace acknowledges the full impact of sin. Grace doesn't diminish what sin is. It just forgives and it doesn't condemn. Sin is still sin, But grace forgives that, and that's a beautiful thing. Grace on top of grace. Remember the clip we watched at the beginning. Valjean didn't get back to the bishop, and the bishop didn't just grab the bag and be like, yeah, whatever, go off and do your thing. You punch me in the eye. He said, no, you keep it. As a matter of fact, here's more for you to take. Grace on top of grace. God's not just like, yeah, you're forgiven, whatever. God's like, yeah, you're forgiven, and I'm inviting you into relationship because that's what grace is. Grace invites us into relationship. That's how it's been since the beginning. When God created Adam and Eve, he created them for relationship. And the graces of God were innumerable, and the requirements of God were minimal, which I'm just saying, when God created, there was a bunch of yeses and one no. We usually think it's the other way around. We usually think it's that the requirements of God are innumerable and the graces of God are minimal. But when God created, his grace was innumerable, his requirements were minimal, and we know that there was one no and all these yeses, and we know Adam and Eve did the one no, and they violated trust, and they sinned, and sin's a big deal because there's truth in the world. And Romans 8 says that all creation was subject to death and decay, and that's the world that we live in. And so God's rescue plan kicked into action, and he went out and he pursued again relationship. He pursued Abraham, and when he came to Abraham, he didn't come to Abraham with a rule book He came to Abraham talking about relationship, talking about grace. He didn't say, Abraham, you need to do A, B, C, D, E, double A, double B, all the way down. He said, I just want to bless you and I just want you to say yes. Because that's how God initiates. And that's 
because sin had consequences, but grace is bigger than that. You see, we think the solution to sin is keeping the rules, but that doesn't work. The solution to sin is not rule keeping. If that was the case, we'd all be in big trouble. And and that's counterintuitive to us sometimes because we think because of my bad behavior, it's caused a separation between me and God, which means my good behavior should bridge that gap. If bad behavior has what's taken me away from God, then good behavior is what will get me back to God. But we can't do it. We need the grace of God. Verse eight, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. It's all God. It's his gift. It's his work. It's 100% grace. But we also need to remember that we need 100% truth as well. We need to live in a world where we know what truth is. When I first moved to Salem, I went on a trip uh, pretty much right away. And and some students were sitting around a table, and they invited me to play a card game with them. It was a card game called Mao. I don't know if you've ever played Mao. If anyone invites you to play Mao, say no. It's terrible. What I didn't know is they just sat there, and they dealt me in, and I had the cards. And so I said, OK, how do we play? And they said, oh, you talked two cards. I had to take two cards. And I was like, excuse me, you talked again, two more cards. So I knew not to talk anymore. I was quick on that one. Only takes twice. And then they started playing. And when it came around to me, I I didn't know what was going on. So I played a card. And they said, oh, played a red card. You have to take two more cards. (laughs) So I did. And it came around. And I was like, oh, I got a black card. I played a black card. Oh, it's odd, not even. Take two cards. So then it came around again, and I played a card, and they were like, you didn't cluck like a chicken when you played that card, two cards, and came around, and you didn't stick your finger in your ear, and so then everybody had to stick their finger in my ear when they played a red card. (laughs) What I didn't know is that they were just making up the rules. (laughs) The dealer of the game just gets to make up the rules, and it became very frustrating and and abusive (laughs) to me, and I wanted to quit because you don't want to play in the game that you don't really know what's going on. You don't want to play in the game where you don't know the rules. You don't want to play in the game where the the principles, people are just making stuff up everywhere and throwing stuff out there. And you're just like, oh, this is awful. And it makes us want to shut down. We need to know what the truth is. We need the truth, all of the truth spoken over us. 100% of the truth. John 17, 17 says this. Make them holy by your truth. This is Jesus praying over us, actually. Teach them your word, which is truth. The word of God is truth. And we're to be taught that word because that's what's going to set us apart. That's what's going to allow us to lean in to holiness. The word of God. Now, what do we usually think of when we think of truth? We usually think of the rules, the commandments that we find in scripture. I read a book a few years back by a humorist named A.J. Jacobs. And uh, He lived a year biblically. He decided that he was going to live one year obeying every command in the Bible as literally as possible. And so he sat down and he began writing out the rules and commandments and guidelines and suggestions and advice in Scripture. He said he came up with 72 pages and over 700 things to do. And this was crazy. And it really changed his life and really gave him a huge beard. 
and non-mixed fabric clothing, right? Some of these things that you're like, ooh. But the book, honestly, is very respectful because he found that the more that he leaned into these commands and principles and advice in Scripture, the more that he realized they had purpose and that they were done for a reason. You see, there are principles and guidelines and commands in God's word. There is so much truth in there, but that truth isn't spoken over us to make us miserable. That truth is spoken over us because it's the best possible way to live. The truth in scripture is spoken over us as the best possible way to live. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I came so that you could have a rich and satisfying life. Jesus didn't speak truth over people to win arguments. Jesus didn't speak truth over people to put them down. Jesus didn't speak truth over people to put them in their place. He spoke truth over them so that they would find their place. A truth that gives life and freedom. John 8, 32 says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That there's truth in scripture that is there to set us free. Now, there's more in scripture than just rules and principles and commands. That's truth, yes, but there's truth in scripture of of who we are without Christ. There's truth in scripture of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And there would be no grace in our lives if we didn't have that truth. And we need to understand that. There's truth in scripture of who we are in Christ, what our identity is, the fact that we are beloved and dearly loved and we don't have to perform. And that's truth we find in scripture and we need 100% of that. There's truth of things that we need to do and things that we need to lean into and, and fruit of the spirit that we can continue to pursue and press on with. All of that truth is in scripture and we need it all, 100% of that. Because here's the thing. The truth that we find in scripture isn't always intuitive, is it? We were born into a broken system. And so the broken system that we're born into says, serve yourself. Look out for number one. Scripture says other people first. We are born into a system says us first. And that's why we need to lean into the truth. That's why we need to understand the whole truth because it's not necessarily intuitive. And so we need to hang on to this. And it's not just a one side or the other. It's not us trying to spend our lives figuring out how to slide back and forth. It's how do we bring these in? How do we get to be both of those things? Where we hang on to truth, hang on to truth of who we are without Jesus and who we are in Jesus. And we hang on to grace knowing we were born into a bad system and grace is the only way out of that system. We're not praying for balance. We're praying for wholeness. We're not trying to figure out how to slide between the two. We're trying to figure out how to live each one 100%. And maybe you have a leaning one way or the other. Maybe you look up here and you're like, yeah, I can definitely tell which one of those I am. Maybe you don't know. Maybe ask someone important in your life where you lean. Um, Ask your spouse. They know. (laughs) They know which way you lean. And if you lean towards truth, if you are always leaning on truth, maybe you don't need another Bible study. Maybe you need to figure out where to serve, how to serve a group of people that you would refer to as those people. Maybe you lean towards grace all the time and truth just doesn't seem that important to you. Maybe you need a Bible study. 
Maybe you need to lean in to the word. I wanna close with just these four words. Uh, two as they relate to grace and two as they relate to truth. The first is just receive. As it relates to grace, receive. Maybe your prayer this week is just, I just keep trying to do this on my own. I just keep trying to perform. And maybe you just need to receive the grace of God this week. Maybe it's a confession of, all right, I'm not sick. I'm dead in sin. And God, you need to do this for me. And receive the grace of God. The second thing as it relates to grace is I would say give. Give grace to other people. And maybe there's someone in your life right now that you're thinking of that needs grace from you. And you're saying to yourself, well, not that person, God. Somebody easier. No, that person. That person, how can you extend grace to them this coming week? Pray and ask God to give you insight. As it relates to truth, I would say learn. We, we need to learn truth. If it's not intuitive, then we need to be in God's word. We need to spend time reading and learning and diving in and seeing what God says to us and how refreshing it is and amazing it is. And the last one I would say is, is speak. Speak truth. We're not ashamed of truth. We don't hide from truth. We speak truth, but we don't speak truth to win arguments or to put people in their place. We speak truth so that people can find their place. We gracefully speak the truth and truthfully live by grace. Not a balance, not somewhere sliding back and forth, but all of both. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thanks for your word. And Jesus, thank you for the example. Thank you for being 100% of both. I pray that you would forgive us, forgive me, when I lean to one side at the expense of the other. God, teach us that these don't contradict but complement each other. I pray that we would be a church marked completely by grace and completely by truth, that we would live that out in our homes and in our neighborhoods and in our city and in this world, that they would see you, Jesus, more clearly in your name. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.